the NBA playoffs continue. Let's look at some exciting matchups, and of course, we're going to take a deep dive into the Utah Jazz as they advance to round two. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoff, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part? It's free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Okay, so welcome on in, guys. Um... I'm just coming back from playing a round of nine of golf. Uh, I think I need a 25 handicap, if I'm going to be honest. Broke my driver today, by the way. So I'm excited to talk about basketball instead of golf. Um, and boy, oh boy, has it been such a fun week for the NBA. Honestly, like looking back, I was super excited in the bubble. Um, we were all excited to have sports back. But this playoffs has just... It's risen to the occasion. It's just brought us everything that we've wanted out of, I feel like, almost every team and every star player. So we're going to start off with some amazing games that have happened from some stars around the NBA this past week. And you have to start with the historic game from Damian Lillard. Okay, me and me and Richie missed this. We were, we were at the movie theaters going to see A Quiet Place Part 2. Great movie, by the way. But... We were watching the ESPN GameCast on our app, and like every time I felt like <laughs> maybe the Nuggets are going to take it now, and then you're, then we see Damian Lillard hits another 27-foot shot. He hit just amazing shots. And by the way, one of the greatest shooting performances I've probably ever seen. But for those of you who didn't witness it, Damian Lillard finished with 55 points on 17 of 24 shooting he also dished out 10 assists and he knocked down 12 three-pointers. So he set like franchise records, NBA records, just unbelievable night. Richie, what stood out to you? What stats stood out to you from Damian Lillard's amazing night in with the Nuggets? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm going to apologize in advance. I don't have a voice uh, after screaming in the Jazz game last <laughs> night at Dylan Brooks. Um, <laughs> but Damian Lillard's performance was incredible. Um, when it comes down to it, though, his teammates just weren't enough. And I feel like that's been a theme for Damian Lillard his whole career is he's always been great. He's always done his part, done more than his part. I mean, he scored 55. That's yeah. obviously way more than his part. Um, but when it's come down to it, his team 
just hasn't come up clutch. Um, defensively, offensively, CJ McCollum had a really bad turnover in double overtime that really put them, that took them out of the game, essentially. Um, I mean, I personally would have loved to see it go to three overtimes, uh, see what happens. But Damian Lillard, he's just incredible. Um, he's one of those guys that steps up every time in the big lights. Um, I wish he was on a different team. I wish he had different teammates so we could see him in a championship setting. But honestly, just another amazing night from Damian. Yeah, I I think like I've come to expect it. I don't want to say like he's, you know, amazing, but it's just like one. he's one of those guys where you expect in the fourth quarter to step up, obviously because of the phrase Dame time. But when it comes down, like when his team's down three, I expect him to make a, like a deep 27 footer, like where for other players, it's like a huck and a prayer him. I'm like, okay, that's like a chip shot. Um, I, I do agree with you. I think this has kind of been like a theme for the trailblazers ever since Damian Lillard got there. They're consistent playoff. Um, they're a consistent playoff team. They're always there, but it seems like they haven't really found that groove and, no matter kind of who's on that team or who's the supporting cast for Dame, it doesn't seem to get them very far in the playoffs. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with Dame in the future if he does make a transition. One thing I do like, though, is that him staying with Portland has kind of helped the NBA in terms of loyalty to a brand and to an organization, which which is very different from what's going on in the NBA right now. Obviously, you see star players who are trying to like join these super big market teams, trying to get championships and Dame's trying to get a championship for the team that drafted him. And I, I, I personally think that's admirable and I like seeing that, but it is, it'll be interesting. I wonder if Dame's going to make a transition, but like that game that he had was rivaling like Jordan's game, Michael Jordan's game when he dropped like 63 um, against the Celtics, it rivaled Donovan Mitchell's game against the Nuggets last year. Like, those those performances where they shot unbelievably in just such a a compressed amount of time, like the amount of points he got per minute is just insane. And also the fact that he set so many NBA records in one game as well is just astounding. Um, so hopefully they can get a dub because that that series has been very interesting. I know you picked the Trailblazers to win in six. Um, that, that was the game I thought they were gonna yeah seal the deal. Yeah, because you saw in Portland the game before, like the Nuggets were frustrated. Obviously, Malone was frustrated with his team. I thought the Trailblazers might have turned a corner. Yeah, you saw people like Melo stepping up a little bit. Um, so we'll see what happens because I feel like every other game has really been that's – a, that's a series that's been really back and forth. Um, another series that's been really back and forth is got to be that Clippers-Mavericks matchup. Insane. It's only happened twice in NBA modern NBA history – when a best of seven series has had every road team win through game five. And that's what has happened with this Clippers Mavericks matchup. Um, it looked at the beginning. I was personally, and I think 99% of NBA fans can say this. I was shocked from what was happening with Mavericks taking a 2-0 lead on the road. And I thought at the beginning of game three, they were up what, like 30 to 11 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they had a good lead. They had a they had a crazy lead. Luka had like a amazing start. Clippers roar back, take that game. Game 4, they looked like a Clippers team that is solid through and through. Then you go to game 5 and it's like just a heated match and Luka was 
he heated up pretty he kind of cooled down at the end but you you saw who he was and who this team was their identity runs through Doncic had 42 on 17 of 37 shooting what has stood out to you from Luca's um explosion against the Clippers in this series I think what really stood out for me was he was the guy that got it going for them. He hit five of his first five threes in the first quarter. Um, He had 19 points at the end of the first quarter and had 25 at the end of the first half. Um, He didn't do a whole lot of scoring after that, and he wasn't super efficient. Even in the post-game press interview, he said that he he played horrible in the second half, like he said that himself, um, and they still won. So I feel like that's what Luca has to do um, because I feel like it was – Carlisle had a good defensive scheme. Um, he was playing Boban Marjanovic a little bit more, which forces the Clippers to not play their small ball lineup. Um, and their small ball lineup was destroying the Mavericks. That's how they won games three and four. Um, so game five, he forced that. And I feel like it really opened the floor for Luca to just kind of do his thing. And then once Luca had done his thing, um, he got the rest of the guys involved. And that shows by his 14 assists. Um I've said from the beginning, Luca's going to do Luca things, and he's going to, you know, he he did a Luca thing last night, 40 and 14, 42 and 14. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's going to be those role players. It's going to be Tim Hardaway Jr. It's going to be Porzingis. Um, it's going to be Jalen Brunson. And those guys really have to step up, and they have to um, score as much as they can, and they have to um, take advantage of their mismatches because Kawhi and Paul George are going to be focused on Luca. Um, so the floor is just going to open up. Yeah. Um, I think, especially when you watch the Mavs, um, in the playoffs, like you said, Luca, you, we all know Luca's going to do Luca magic in the playoffs as the analysts like to call it <laughs> the commentators. Um, but it just feels so different. And I think as jazz fans, we can relate to this with Mitchell you know, even with the the two games on the road that he came in when he wasn't shoot, shooting around 35% or so, you just feel the difference that just him being in the rotation can make. And I think that's the same thing with Doncic times 10. Um, you see how little breaks he takes in between while he's on the bench and how much of a difference that makes. You look back at that second half, um, they created a pretty su- sustainable lead going into the fourth quarter. I believe they were up 12 or 14 going into the fourth. Um, a great run to finish it off. Um, they take him out for a little bit. And in the matter of two or three minutes, you see the momentum change completely. Um, he has a really good, when his supporting cast is on a roll, that's a, that they're a pretty good team. Uh, when, when Tim Hardaway Jr. is on a roll, when you get um, Jalen Brunson on a roll, when Porzingis can maybe shoot, um, <laughs> he's, he's struggled in this series. But if, if he has a good supporting role, I think this Mavericks team is very tough to beat. But even if the other guys aren't working, just having Luka in the game is such a difference. And we saw that last night against the Clippers. And I think it's going to be a very big difference, for example, if they go up against the Jazz in the second round. Very interesting to see how this one plays out. It's been an excellent series. I've loved watching it. The West is just such a competitive um, division. Like, you look at the East, they already have their semifinal matchups. And so... The West, the Jazz yesterday with their win were the first ones to make it to that round. Like, that's how tight it is. Um, These games are all just super exciting to watch. The most exciting matchup, and I think the most intriguing for all of us NBA fans around the league, we're looking at that Suns-Lakers matchup. Um, The first game, the Suns kind of took control 
we thought, okay, this we knew this was this one was going to be competitive for the defending champions. Game two, another really close game. Great atmosphere. Um, LeBron and Anthony Davis took over down the stretch. You go to game three, and the Lakers, the Lakers are getting cocky. Like you see, you, there's like that famous move where LeBron is posting up on Jay Crowder. You got the whole bench like mimicking him. Um, they run away with game three. And at that point, at least in my personal opinion, like I was looking at that and saying, okay, great. Like the Lakers are probably going to take over. You know, Chris Paul is kind of dealing with that shoulder injury. Devin Booker wasn't shooting that well um, in LA. Then you go to game four. Anthony Davis just seems to be made of glass. I mean, the guy's got a different injury like every other game. He was already dealing with a knee problem. Uh, end of the second quarter, he goes down, strained groin. That's a difficult injury. Uh, from what I hear, Suns take that game. I were you surprised from what happened in Game Five in Phoenix when the Lakers beat the or when the Suns beat the Lakers by thirty? Yeah, I was absolutely surprised. Um, I think the expectation was LeBron was going to have a big game. You know, AD went down. It's like okay, LeBron has been the best player in the league for like the last fifteen years. Now is another time for him to just keep proving it, like he's done over and over again. So I was expecting a big game from LeBron. I was expecting like a 40-point triple-double. But the Lakers just kind of, outside of LeBron, outside of AD, they kind of just suck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're really good defensively, um, but their offense just has no rhythm. Um, they don't get open shots. They take a lot of dumb shots, like Schroeder's taking these contested mid-range, these contested threes. They're just, I feel like they just have no brand of offense. Um, they're so good at defense, but <clears throat> defense can't win it. Defense can't win everything. You need guys to score. And I feel like that's how they really got played out in the first half because it was a done, it was a done game in one half. Um, yeah. And I don't know if the Lakers want to be successful, they're going to have to try some different things. They're going to have to try to get Schroeder. Schroeder had zero points that game. I just like to say um, he has to be their second best scorer, if, their second best player if um, AD is out. And I didn't see that from him. Um, I think the Lakers have options of what they can do, though. Um, one successful lineup they ran was um, during the regular season was Schroeder, Harrell at the power forward, um, and Gasol at the center. So they're able to still spread the floor. Um, but Harrell is a beast inside, and he's a great scorer inside. And um, the pick and roll with Harrell and Schroeder has proven to be very successful. So in those non-LeBron minutes, they have to be, they have to be a plus um, because in the LeBron minutes, I think they're going to do great on offense. I think they'll do fine on defense, um, but it's those non-LeBron minutes where they've gotten played out of the game. Um, so in game six, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of schemes Frank Vogel comes up with. Frank Vogel is a defensive coach. Um, that shows in his team, that shows in his roster. Um, but their offense just has to be better if they want to stand a chance because the Suns look good. The Suns have looked really good all series on offense and defense. Um, Aiton has looked like an all-star this series. Devin Booker hasn't even had a good series except for game five. Like that was his best game. Um, Chris Paul still doesn't look 100%. He looks like he's better, but he doesn't look at 100%. And so honestly – I thought the Lakers should have won game five. Um, I think they will win game six and it'll go to seven. That's, I think that's the best outcome. Yeah. I going into game five, looking at tip off, they showed 
the camera showed LeBron's face and it looked like LeBron in game seven of the finals. And I thought, okay, this guy's, <laughs> gonna, this guy's gonna go on a tear. Like he looked like he was looking for blood. And you saw that in the first few possessions. Like he was driving yeah. hard to the paint, trying to find his teammates. And I feel like he he's we've already talked about this. Um his team I think it's the same situation with like Portland with the Mavericks. We've already talked about like those two teams have good supporting casts if they play their roles correctly and they get going. Like these these supporting cast members with the Lakers, they have potential. We've seen it before. Um, like we saw LeBron, I think I believe it was in game two getting mad at Caldwell Pope for not shooting open. Um, the Jazz have the Jazz have this. I'll talk about this a little bit later. But sometimes they're they're afraid. I feel like some of the supporting cast is afraid to to play their role, especially with Anthony Davis out, their role has been elevated. And especially in a playoff series, it's a lot more intense. And I feel like some of those guys, maybe like Kuz, like Kuzma has been been shooting well at all. Um, like you said, Schroeder had zero points. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Davis, especially with that that groin tear, because that's kind of a an injury that I know can last a little bit longer. But obviously, on the brink of elimination, you have to look at your options. Um, a really interesting series. Like I feel like it's been tight. Both teams have played pretty well defensively. That's what I've liked. Is it's been it's been a lot of defense, um, which is kind of fun to watch. Um, and a little bit chippy at times. I mean, we saw Devin Booker get ejected. Um, but I also knew that going into game five, it was either going to be LeBron or it was either going to be Devin Booker. I think both of those guys were due for a really good game. Uh, and Devin provided it even in the first quarter. I was watching that, just watching both of those and ones go in. Oh yeah. Those were crazy, crazy <laughs> shots. And you could just feel the momentum in Phoenix. It was, it was an awesome game. I'm excited to see how that one finishes up. Because that one is that one, I think, is going to be crucial for Jazz fans. Um, I think both of those teams would be fun matchups. For example, if we were to meet them in the Western Conference Finals, all of the Suns matchups we've had this year, even though we lost all three, have been very interesting. I think that second game that we played against them was probably the most interesting, obviously because we had all of our players in, and I believe they had all of their players in. I can't remember if we had anyone injured. No one, I believe, that was, you know, in our starting lineup and it went down to the wire. Um, so I'd be interested to see that uh, the best of seven matchup between the jazz and the Suns. Um, we'll, we'll head out East to some matchups that are now going to be happening because like I said, their semifinal matchups are already secured, but now there's a little bit of questions, um, especially with that Hawks Sixers matchup. So the Hawks took this one in five. Uh, you, you, you said the Hawks were going to win this one, right? Rich. Um, I actually think I said the Knicks. You did? I might have said the, I can't remember my prediction, but I said in seven. So in five was a big surprise. Yeah. Um, it was it was interesting to see Trey perform in in such a way to just take it in five. Um, those home games for Atlanta were really big. I felt like New York was just playing catch up the whole time. Um, and their offense was a little stagnant. Julius Randle just wasn't performing to the the guy that we've seen and grow in this past season. And it just felt like they were stagnant for most of the time. Like the Alec Burks game at the beginning of the series, I thought, wow, okay, maybe yeah. these other guys are going to step yeah. up, help them out. They're going to have some shooters because the, the Knicks have also been very good on defense this year. I believe they've been in top five defense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Trey Young took that over some trash talk along the way. That was exciting. So now they're matching up with the Sixers team that just beat the wizards in five. Um, actually proud of the Wizards for winning that that game on a 3-0 uh, deficit. Uh, but Embiid had a meniscus tear in his knee. 
that sounds bad, but they're saying they're taking it day to day. So I'm guessing, and it's probable that Embiid would probably sit out game one of this series. How do you think this one will go with Embiid sitting? Um, so I've kind of had questions about Philadelphia without Embiid. I think Tobias Harris is really good. Um, I don't think Ben Simmons is good enough to carry a team to win a playoff game. He did it in game five against the Wizards yesterday. Um, I'll give him that. He had a triple-double. He was great. Um, But I think the Wizards are just not a good team. So um, the Hawks are a good team. I think they really proved it against the Knicks. They And since they made their coaching change, um, they've been phenomenal. They've had a better record than the Knicks since they made their coaching change. uh, Or better record than the Sixers, I mean. Um, So I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, what the Sixers are able to do without Embiid. Seth Curry had a great game last night, too. He had over 30. um, And they're really going to need those guys to step up. Tobias Harris, I think, is going to have to have a big series if they want to win. Because Atlanta has a lot of weapons. Um, Their Trey Young, Clint Capella pick and roll has been phenomenal. John Collins has been great. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich has been incredible. And he's been the perfect fit with Trey Young. Um, It's a great backcourt duo between those two. Um, And they have good defense. Um, They've been able to successfully hide Trey Young on defense because they have four other solid defenders. Um, And I think they're going to be able to continue to do that. Um, I bet they'll put Trey Young on... Danny Green, I bet they'll put him um, on like Korkmaz, people like on players like that, where you can still kind of hide them because those players just don't really like they're not going to post them up. They're not going to dribble. Um, so I honestly think the Hawks have a chance in this series. Um, a lot of it depends on Embiid's health, like you mentioned. Um, Clint Capella is a great defender and he's big. And he has a lot of size, which is exactly what you need against going against Embiid. Um, so I think that'll be a fun matchup. And honestly, I'm excited for this series. I think this series, the two series in the East now are both kind of fun. Because that first round, you knew the outcome for each series, I feel like. Yeah. Um, especially after like game three of the New York series, you kind of knew that the Hawks were taking that series. Um, and so I'm really excited for this matchup. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of schemes the Hawks throw out the Sixers and vice versa. Yeah. Um, like we've been saying, like we knew these East matchups for a while, obviously they already have their semifinals set. This one is, is very intriguing. I know the, the Nets bucks matchup is more intriguing and we'll talk about that, but especially with Embiid sitting, I think with most of the teams that sit at the top of the league, it's so vastly different when you take out one of your stars, especially an all-star. We've said this about the Jazz, like if you took out Rudy, you know, they're a they're a bottom-tier playoff team. You take out Mitchell, bottom-tier playoff team. Um, with Embiid, I think it's even more so. He's not only just such a, a good center for them that spreads out their offense and just plays incredible defense. I think just his emotion is is also very crucial for the Sixers team. It just feels like he's the energy that brings them alive each game. Um, and I love that. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that matches up. So let's say, for example, Embiid sits out game one or game two. Um, would you would you think the Hawks would win this series? Or do you think if he came back that the Sixers would eventually take it? 
I think it, depending on how many games he does sit, if he even sits at all, um, I think if he sits two games, then the Hawks have a real chance at winning it. I think if he just sits one game, then the Sixers still have their chance. Um, but that being said, losing one at home is kind of a big disadvantage. And the Hawks would be really happy with that because their job is to go split those first two games, to go win one of those games and then take it back to Atlanta where their crowd has been awesome. Um, really awesome. And they've, they're at full capacity. None of them are wearing masks. Um, it's great what's going on in Atlanta. I'm all for it. Um, so I think if they can take it back to Atlanta, having won one, then they have a serious, they have a serious shot at winning because Embiid feeds so much off of the crowd. Um, and I feel like the whole, all the Sixers feed off of the crowd. And in that Wizard series, whenever they were playing in Washington, you could hear more Sixers fans than you could Washington fans. And I don't think it's going to be that same way in Atlanta. And I think um, if Atlanta wins one of those first two games, they could easily take the series. Yeah, that one's going to be super interesting to watch. Um, the matchup that I think is very interesting for everyone around the league has got to be that nets bucks matchup because both of those teams were by far the most dominant in the first round. Uh, they just looked so well-rounded. Uh, the Nets picked up on defense. Um, from what I could tell, after about the first three games, I believe they were like number two in overall defense in the playoffs. And they're an offensive powerhouse. Like it's the big three and they talk about it. That's their new nickname. James Harden has kind of merged into that role as the true point guard. You don't see him really looking for it to score as much as we have seen him do in the past with Houston. Kyrie's really just molded well into his role as the shooting true shooting guard and then obviously you'll have a born scorer in kevin durant that was a series that i love how i was listening to me and richard big fans of of the low post he actually introduced me to that podcast i've been listening to a lot um for one of my jobs i love how he described that matchup as pornography because it was <laughs> it was obscene and should be illegal i love how he <laughs> described that um because that was just it was straight murder for all of those games um, when they pick up their defense, the nets are a serious foe because they're an offensive powerhouse. You also have Joe Harris. Who's one of the best shooters from the perimeter. You've just have a good supporting cast, but it's you, it's something about those big three. That's just always going to pose just a big threat to every team that opposes them. But then you have the bucks after game one. That was a series we talked about before the playoffs started where we thought, this might go to seven. This will be one of the most, if not the most interesting playoff matchup in the first round. They swept them. Like after that first game that went to overtime, the Bucks just looked completely dominant. Middleton has performed above and beyond what I thought he would. And, and they took that in four. So going into this matchup, you have an offensive powerhouse and a defensive powerhouse. What, how do you see this matchup going in the second round? I think this is going to be a really fun matchup. It's going to be really fun to see what kind of schemes are thrown out. Um, the Nets have a lot of options. Right now, uh, Jeff Green is injured, and Jeff Green has played a large part in their success. Um, and something they did during the regular season that I think is going to work a little bit is they're going to play DeAndre Jordan um, on Giannis. That's what they did during the regular season because all DeAndre Jordan has to do is step back like 10 feet, kind of get right in that section between the key and the three-point line and just 
try to let Giannis have the ball as much as possible. So he's shooting outside shots. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how much they use that because DeAndre Jordan also is kind of a liability on offense. He doesn't do much for you. Um, and I don't think he fits well with them on offense. Um, but he, he'll be a solid defender for them. Um, I think you're going to be watching these stars more than anything. Um, you're going to be watching Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and then on the other side, James Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant. And you're going to want to see how well – I bet they'll put Drew Holiday on um, – I don't know. I don't know who they're going to put him on. I think they put him on James <laughs> Harden um, to try and kind of disrupt the flow of their offense. Um, but then who do they put on Kyrie? Because they DiVincenzo got injured. Um, yeah. DiVincenzo has been a big part of their defense. So you just kind of the things like that. There's so many matchups. There's so many tricky things that the Nets can throw at you. And there's so many ways they're going to attack you. Joe Harris has been phenomenal. He was great in the first series. And I think he's going to have a good series in the second series as well. Um, but Milwaukee's just been so good on defense this entire year. But how do you guard James Harden, Kyrie, and Kevin Durant? <laughs> and- Three of the most unguardable players. It, like especially the more you watch Kevin Durant year in and year out, his shot just looks like even if Giannis was on him, he'll still find a way to find a perfect stroke with that ball. And it's the same thing with Harden. Like looking at his his crossovers and his step backs, also pretty unguardable. And then Kyrie's handles are literally out of this world. You see like viral videos of him defying gravity. The guy is. I, oh, yeah. He he must have like paid the devil to give him some secret abilities because that guy's <laughs> crazy good with handles. And when he gets going as well shooting, uh, they get going, especially in that last game against the Celtics. The Celtics kind of made a little bit of a run, got within eight or so, eight or seven. And then each of the big three hit a three in transition in the same exact spot in a matter of like 30 or 40 seconds. Jeez. And I was sitting there watching and I go, this is this is murder and I'm scared. And I'm on the and our team's on the other side of the bracket. Like I'm thinking, wow, these guys are scary. But you also look at that Bucks team and they look like a Bucks team I've been waiting for to arrive in the playoffs. Cause I feel like what everyone's been talking about with the Jazz being such a regular season team, that's been that's been a conversation for the Bucks for the last little while as well. They've been a great regular season team, but they seem to just underperform in the playoffs. And we saw that last year in the bubble but they were able to get their revenge on Miami, look dominant while doing that, and now they have a really good matchup against the Nets. So with everyone playing, besides Green, how do you see this matchup going in the best of seven? Um, <laughs> excuse the voice crack. Um, I'm really <laughs> hoping this matchup goes to seven. Um, I, I think the Bucks have a real shot at beating them because this Bucks team is different than last year. And they're playing different than they played last year. Um, and their their defense has been better. Their offense has been significantly better. And I think they have the star power to take over in some of these games. That being said, it the Nets have been called scary hours for a reason. And they've been that's been their team motto all season for a reason. Because when they have all three of those guys together, they're unstoppable and it's just scary for everybody, like you said. So I have Nets winning this in six. I like that. I like that. I physically cannot make a prediction for this series. It could go either way. Yeah, next week (laughs) we'll have like a better feel. 
I I feel like I might be able to make a prediction maybe after game one. Obviously, you can never tell with especially with the Jazz series after game one. Uh, yeah. Everyone else that didn't follow the Jazz had us losing, but it very interesting. I'm super excited. As non entertaining as the first round was in the East, their semifinals are gonna are looking pretty well right now. I'm super excited for those. Going back to the West, like I said, the Jazz are the first ones to make it to the semifinal round, but all of the other matchups are right on the verge. We have that 3-2 matchup in Suns-Lakers, 3-2 matchup, Mavs-Lakers. And, gosh, what am I forgetting? Is that it? I think that's it. No, there's one more. Um, Nuggets, Trailblazers. Oh, my gosh. How did I forget that? Nuggets, Trailblazers. <laughs> Nuggets, <laughs> Nuggets are up 3-2. This is interesting, right? So we now we have three teams on the verge of elimination, but it's gone back and forth in each series in the West. How do you see all of these three matchups ending? Okay, I got Suns in seven. I think they're going to lose game six in LA, and then I think they're going to win game seven in Phoenix. Um, I've got Denver winning game six. I know I'm going back on my original prediction, but I think <laughs> I think Denver is going to take the cake on game six. I think Portland gave them everything they had. Um, and then as for that Mavs Clippers series, I'm hoping it goes to seven to give the Jazz more resting time. Um, and I'm hoping that the Mavericks come out. And I think the Mavericks could win either of those games. I think they're going to lose at home again, and then they're going to win away. That would be the <laughs> dopest. Be crazy. <laughs> that'd be the dopest matchup ever. I was even saying that after their game five win, just to have it go this far with no home team winning has been awesome. Oh, as much yeah. as it sucks probably for the home fans that paid a lot of money to go to those games, uh, it's been awesome for us sitting at home watching that. Um, I have the exact same predictions um, with Suns coming in seven, Nuggets taking game six. I I want to see... Right now for Jazz fans, I think it's a win-win with the Clippers-Mavericks series. Either the Mavs win in six, and as much as like the Jazz won't say, like I personally would like to see the Mavericks more than the Clippers in the second round. Yeah, yeah, for real. But at the same time, like you said, with Mike Conley's hamstring tweak a little bit, it gives him and Donovan Mitchell, all of our team, a little bit more rest going into the second round. That one is very intriguing. I'm super excited. The playoffs have just lived up to their hype. Um, this, this year has been very exciting. and I'm super excited to see where it goes even further. Going now into the Jazz, our favorite segment every week. We get to dive a little bit deeper. How about them Utah Jazz? Richie, you lost your voice. You talk about it. You were at that <laughs> game last night. But let's 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 go back a little bit because the last time we we had our podcast, the Jazz were down 1-0 in this series. And just a week later, we've taken it. That's crazy. So, yeah. I I said right after that loss, after a little bit of panic, as usual Jazz fans do, I said Jazz take this one in 5. And that's what they did. Um, let's, let's backtrack. Let's go to game two. Donovan comes back. What do you see that's different? What happened that boosted them to a game two win? I think what was, um, really different Donovan, he didn't look hundred percent game two or game three. Um, but something that he added was an instant willingness to shoot, which I think the jazz really needs sometimes as well as a willingness to make the right pass and to close the game. I think Donovan was way crucial in game two and game three in doing those two things. Um, game two, he was hyping up the crowd. He was getting them into it. Um, and he started the game incredibly. 
I remember I think he hit like his first two threes, made a layup, and you're like, okay, he's back. It's over for Memphis. <laughs> but Memphis is one of those teams that just never gives up, and they always hang on. And that's what they were doing in game two. And John Morant had an incredible performance. I think he had – how many points did he have that game? He had 47. 47. Just unprecedented for a second-year player. Um, but, you know, the Jazz ultimately were a better team. We're more well-rounded, and we have more options, and we have a lot more firepower. And I think that showed in game two. Um, yeah. Game three, we we kept it going. I feel like I feel like we just carried that same energy. Um, John Morant had another great game, but I feel like Rudy had a really good defensive game in game three, and that's kind of what won us that game. Yeah, it was um, – game two was just another level of hype. The – especially realizing Donovan was out for such a long period of time. I think I got used to a different jazz team. And when he came back, it was like someone just shocked me with so much life. I felt like I came back from the dead as well as the team. <laughs> like when he hit that and one three against Dylan Brooks to oh, give him yeah. 2000, the first quarter, I was just, and then he starts, you know, cussing and, you know, talking trash. Like it, we talked about it before he came back. But just being in the rotation, it's the same thing with Luca and with Dame. Like just being there has elevated the Jazz's game. And and game two was just that. Game three was, I think you saw the fight in that Memphis team. Like we saw it in every single game this series, but that one was kind of scary because we held we held a constant lead. And then you go into the fourth quarter and they start roaring back. Um, I was on vacation. I'm watching this on my phone. I'm in public and Memphis goes up by two with about four minutes to go. And I thought, Oh my gosh, they're going to do it again. Typical jazz. Come on. I've never seen like in recent memory, like a greater defensive stand in the final minutes of a game. Like, Oh yeah. I think they went 14. If you count out the free throws that Memphis had at the end, kind of the gimme free throws, like the Jazz went on a 14-0 run to finish. Um, and Mitchell had that same mentality of a shoot of a shooter. And um, it was good ball movement, and the defense really stepped up. And that was a fantastic ending to game three. I thought this was perfect momentum, and I love what all the analysts around the league were saying. That's what a championship team does. And in my personal opinion, I think it was good that the Memphis Grizzlies were taking it this close to the Jazz to kind of have them step up their game a little bit. And obviously going down the stretch, the farther and farther you go into the playoffs, the more and more you're going to have to close out close games. And I think having that experience with a first-round matchup with the Grizzlies was super helpful for the Jazz going into the future. I think having those moments and those abilities to close out close games to feel confident in your ability to do so will help them exponentially going into the further into uh, more matchups. Game four was kind of the same thing. I was also, <laughs> I was on a, I was on an airplane coming back um, doing a, uh, hopefully I don't get shut down for this. I was doing an illegal stream on, on the internet on, on Delta. <laughs> um, and watching them again, close game, but the jazz, continue to build steady leads. I think for every punch that Memphis gave them, they punched right back. Um, and then it happened again where Memphis kind of clawed their way back towards the end of the series. And then the jazz 
held him out again. And I think even though Mike Conley didn't have a great game, I, he had like 11 points. He was clutch. Yeah, he and, had those two threes at the end. Yeah, and he had that steal against right before he hit the three. Like he was another reason why this Jazz team was successful. That's when you realize, like I said, with Donovan being out, they're you know an average team. With Rudy out, they're an average team. I think it's the same thing with Mike Conley. They, they might be a little bit better, but I think it's not even close. When you have all those three, besides two out of the three, it's such a completely different team. And I think Game Four showed us that. What were your um, viewpoints? What did you get out of that Game Four? Um, game four, I feel like was Memphis's real shot. You know, I feel like that's the game they gave everything they had, but that was the first game. I thought Donovan looked a hundred percent. Um, he was driving to the basket and in games two and three, when he drove to the basket, he'd get fouled or something. And then he'd like lay on the ground for like two minutes. That worried you know? me so much every and, time. And you're just scared like... as a jazz fan. But in game four, he was attacking the basket. He'd get his shot. He'd get his hand one. Um, and then he'd pop right back up if he fell down. And that's what made you really excited because it's like, okay, Donovan looks at 100%. This Jazz team has a real shot. And we just closed that game out. And kind of the feeling after game four is, okay, the Grizzlies gave you everything they had. It's kind of over. It's over. Um, the Jazz are taking this back to home for game five. And... I mean, we saw what they did in game five, an absolute massacre. <laughs> you were there in person, so I'd love to get your insight. But going into game five, my prediction was they would win by 15. They won by 16, but it like 16 felt like they won by one compared to how they played. Um, They had so they broke so many records in that first quarter. I remember just watching the TV and I felt like, am I a Nets fan now? Cause this looks like a massacre. This looks like a murder. <laughs> Donovan came out swinging again, but not only him, like Bogdanovich stepped up from the beginning. Rudy stepped up. Mike stepped up. They were moving the ball. It looked like the jazz team we were used to at the beginning of the season when they were on a really good tear. Um, it felt like they were having fun with it, but they still kind of had their, their foot on the gas pedal. They wanted to, you know, close it out. They had 47 first quarter points, nine three pointers. Uh, when it said like Mitchell had already had like 15 points on like five of seven or six of seven shooting, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, this this one's like just out of the picture. And I loved that the crowd got into it. You were there, I wasn't there, but it fe- it felt and it looked like the crowd was a little bit more into it compared to the first two games. What was your viewpoint from being there in person? That first half was the best half of basketball I've ever experienced. Um, it seems like that it seemed like the jazz weren't missing. Usually the guys that I feel like have missed, especially Royce Royce was hitting every shot. Royce had 17 that game, um, which was great. And bogey was great. Donovan was great. Mike was great. Rudy was getting and one dunks. Um, Clarkson came in and started hitting all these big shots. There were buzzer beaters in the first half. Mike oh and Donovan both hit buzzer beaters. Um, I feel like that whole first half, the whole everybody was really into it. But the moment that was just the crowning moment was Dylan Brooks is fouling Donovan on the last possession. He's fouling him. He's all up over him. Jazz fans are screaming at him. This is right after Donovan just hit a three. Um, And we're all mad at Dylan Brooks. You know, we're Dylan Brooks got booed every time he touched the ball. (laughs) So we're all we're all just yelling at the refs to call the foul. And then Donovan just sinks the three over him. 
and you hear the buzzer. And I kid you not, we were standing up for five minutes just screaming. Just like, yes, Donovan, yes. And that's the main reason I don't have a voice right now <laughs> is because of those five minutes where everybody was just jumping up and down. The whole stadium just went nuts. Um, and in that moment, you knew it was over. Dylan Brooks came out the second half, did not look like he was interested. He looked like Donovan really got into his head. And you just knew it was over. I, I love that. I feel like the Donovan Dylan was kind of like the Joe Ingles, Paul George matchup from a few years back. Uh, a lot of trash talk. And I, I loved it because um, when Donovan came out swinging, you talk about he had those two big threes to end the first half. That first one, Dylan Brooks was also just all up in his grill. Does like another tight fadeaway three. And he's talking mad trash, at least from my viewpoint, watching it on TV, like cameras, like pulling on Donovan's face. And he's just talking mad trash Don, or to, to Dylan, which is awesome to see, especially as a Utes fan, for all of you Utah fans, we've hated Dylan Brooks for a longer time than Jazz fans. Oh, yeah. I We have not liked him for a while. So it's good to have some, maybe some BYU fans and some other Utah locals to join us in our hate for Dylan Brooks. But um, I was just utterly amazed, especially because in that last one when he was just getting up against Dylan Brooks, Jonas Valanciunas also, they went and doubled him at the end. And like the fadeaway, I, I sat there in awe. Like I didn't scream or anything. I just sat there in awe and I go, wow, this is, this is beautiful. This is absolutely beautiful. I felt like I was like a museum or something looking at just a wonderful piece of art. That's what that first half of jazz basketball was. Um, second half, Mike Conley didn't come back. Said he tweaked his hamstring um, after the, at the end of the first quarter. What's kind of, what do you think? is going on there. Do you think it was precaution? Cause he talked with the media afterwards, which kind of gives a little bit of uh, hope to jazz fans. Um, but do you think he'll be back for, for round two? I think he'll be back. Um, I think the fear was that if he kept playing, he might do something worse to it. Um, and I think he was very cautious. He was very aware of how the game was going and how it would keep going in the second half. And I think he knew that the jazz would win. So I think his decision was just, okay, I'm going to sit out. I don't want to aggravate it worse than it is. He says that it was just a tweak and not like a full tear like it's been in the past. Um, so I think I think Mike is fine. Um, I think he'll be back for game one of the next series. The thing that would suck is um, if the Mavericks win game six, I mean, that'd be great, but we would be playing on Sunday, um, which is very soon. And I feel like that's just a very quick turnaround for – for the Mavericks more so than us, but also for us. Um, so I'd like the, it to go to game seven in that series so that Mike can have as much time as possible. But I think he'll be ready for game one, and I think he'll look just fine. Yeah. Um, and I think even with Mike, you saw the leadership that Donovan possessed um, in the second half. They kind of brought him back a few times. It looked like as though they were going to take him out to finish off, but he had to come back a few times because Memphis would be cutting into that lead a little bit, that really big lead. Like it was funny because Quinn's trying to stop the bleeding when they get down to like a 30 point deficit. He's like, all right, guys, we need to like, need to boost it back up. Um, but looking back at how Donovan performed in those four games, because ever since coming back from that injury, the jazz are four and Um, listening to the TNT crew last night. Uh, we know that Shaq has kind of been a little bit of a, a critic towards, um, Donovan Mitchell, but something I liked from what that crew said post game 
is that they were looking for the difference between an all-star and a superstar. They said that their definition of an all-star was that you can dominate one category of the game, and it's usually scoring. Uh, guys like Trey Young, right? They, they dominate scoring. That's their thing. Other guys, you know, maybe dominate the boards or dominate assists. A superstar dominates multiple facets of the game. Donovan coming into after game two, he I don't think he had any assists. Uh, he had a really good scoring game, but he just he didn't really perform in the other categories. Looking back at what we were talking about in those road games, especially when he felt like he was coming back from that injury, you know, getting a little bit stronger. There was one offensive rebound he had, I believe it might have been in game four, that looked godly. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but like he jumped up and like clawed it with like one hand jumped up super high and grabbed it. And I thought, okay, now this is a leader that's taking over in, in multiple facets of the game. Even last night, I think he had a 30-10. So they said he's moving into that superstar category because I, you, in my opinion, I think in order to go to the finals, you have to have someone that's a superstar, someone that can be a leader for a really good team. Because this is a really good, the Jazz are a really good team. And we, we've talked about this for a long time. Is there a different number one seed? Because it's not the usual... You know, LeBron's just the super all-star leading this, you know, okay supporting cast because these other guys can step up like we've seen. But now you have three all-stars plus all these guys that can come in, game in, game out, and perform. Is what does Donovan Mitchell look like to you after these games? Is he a superstar in your in your eyes, or is he still is he on the road there? Where is Donovan Mitchell at in your perspective? I think he's a superstar. Um and my reasoning behind it is kind of what you were saying um, is that he's able to affect the game in multiple facets. Donovan isn't the greatest defender. Um, I think he just isn't super active. He doesn't seem super interested on defense, but his playmaking has really improved this last series, uh, this last season. I mean, and I feel like that was especially evident in the second half of game five. Donovan wasn't trying to score as much, but he was just trying to find his teammates. And he was making great passes, making great reads. And I don't know. I feel like him just getting guys involved is such a key factor to him being a superstar because he's, he's a proven scorer. Um, he's done scoring things that no other players besides superstars have done. Um, and he's done it in the playoffs as well. So, you know, he's a great scorer, but his playmaking is really what he's doing to, um, to make the next big step in his game. And I think he's a superstar because of that. Um, I think next series, if he's going against Luca or Kawhi and Paul George, either way, he's going against a superstar in next series. I don't think the Memphis had a superstar necessarily. So I think it's a really important opportunity for Donovan to show that he can be a superstar and that he is a superstar and that he's going to affect the game in multiple ways and that he's going to get his guys involved and he's going to make the largest impact on the game possible. Yeah. And I, I don't want to sound like a super fan or a BYU fan, but could the Jazz, do you see the Jazz going um, far in this playoffs, especially after that first round matchup? Do you think they have the ability to win it all? I think, I think we do. Um, the way I was feeling in game five, was that this team is unbeatable when they are playing like that. The real question, oh, and we still weren't playing perfectly. 
I feel like we still could have improved in a couple ways. I feel like Joe Ingles could be better. I feel like Favors didn't have his best game last game. Um, I still think Clarkson had some interesting decisions. And so I feel like this team can still keep improving. And I think we're going to see more of that as the playoffs go on, um, that we're going to tighten up on certain things. We're going to keep getting better. And so these next days that we have where we can practice, where we can tighten all the screws are really important um, going into the second round. And I think if we can win this second round um, fast, relatively fast, and get to Western Conference Finals, I think we can go to the finals. Um, I think there are good teams in the West, but the Jazz in that first round played like the best team in the West. Um, When we're at full strength, I don't think um, any team can really beat us, especially because other teams aren't at full strength right now. So I think the Jazz go to the finals. I don't know what's going to happen in the finals, but I could see the Jazz for sure going to the finals. Yeah. And speaking as a fan, because I know that the Jazz team, they just want they want to win it all as you should, as that's where your mentality should be in the playoffs. Speaking as a fan, is it championship or bust for the Jazz? No. I think if you go to the Western Conference Finals, this is a success of a season. You got the first seed. You proved you can win in the playoffs. And all you have to do is keep doing that in following years. Um, I also think this is our best chance to probably get to the finals and to win a championship because I think next year teams might just be better. Um, You might have more competition and you're probably not going to be the one seed again next year. Maybe, but probably not. So I feel like it's not championship or bust this year, but if you come short of the Western conference finals, it kind of is a failure of a season. If you get to the Western conference finals, you're happy. You're happy with what you've done. You've had success in the regular season and in the playoffs. Yeah, I I feel like, especially with the way this team has been playing, I feel, I will feel very confident going to the finals. I'll feel this was a very, very successful season. Going from a first-round exit to a finals, where I feel like that will gain respect from the league. Um, like you said, they've been, they were winning in the regular season, and just to see them go far in the playoffs would be awesome. I'd love to see them get past the second round. I haven't seen the Jazz get past the second round in a while. I'd love to see that. Um, we'll go really quick, but some, some new leaks you could call you could say, but Danny Ainge stepped down from basketball operations with the Boston Celtics and, um, Brad Stevens will be stepping into more of a front office role over there in Boston. There's been rumors that Danny Ainge might come and work with the jazz because of his connections with Ryan Smith, the owner, what do you do you see there's any possibility with Danny Ainge coming over to Salt Lake? What do you see um with that whole situation? So I feel like there is a possibility that he comes. Um as a fan and as a person who's kind of seen what Danny Ainge has done in the front office, I am completely against it. And I'll give you two examples of why. First example, Isaiah Thomas, second example, Jay Crowder. Isaiah Thomas was six in MVP voting in like 2016. He averaged like 29 points a game. They went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the best player ever to play. Um, Had a success of a season, and then they blew it up. Um, So he trades away Isaiah Thomas for basically nothing, and Isaiah Thomas just hasn't been the same since. I think it was a big kill on his confidence, and um, I don't know. That really made me dislike Danny Ainge. Second was Jay Crowder that same year. Jay Crowder was a very important part of their team. 
he was incredible on defense and he played a role in their offense and they traded away traded him away for basically nothing um and jay crowder's mom had died that exact day that they traded him away danny ainge i feel like is too focused on the business and he's not focused on what you're trying to build he's not going to help with what the jazz have been trying to do which is continuity and building a culture um Danny Ainge is a, guy, is a guy that's like willing to trade away anything for a first round pick. And I think that is just the complete opposite of what the Jazz front office are trying to do. With Ryan Smith and Dwayne Wade and other guys involved in the front office, Denny, Dennis Lindsay, I think they have built something great and they can keep it going great for years to come. Um, it's rare that a small, small market team has had the success that we've had. And I don't think Danny Ainge brings us anything to help us have more success. Yeah. You look at the Jazz's steady winning. Um, they're number two, I believe, in most wins um, all around since the year 1995 in the league. Out of the top five teams, every single one has a championship, multiple championships, except for the Jazz. So they're a consistent winning team. They just haven't gotten far. And I agree with you. I, I felt the same thing looking at that on Twitter. Um, it just feels like the Celtics, I mean, they've gone to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I just feel like it's just a constant rotation over there with their lineups. And I like that, like you said, the Jazz really build on chemistry. And I love the cold, like you said, it, it really is a culture. Like I, I love the team this year and they've really bonded together but I think like they're looking for pieces to add to a puzzle they've already created rather than just starting scratch every year. And I think, especially with, I, th I think we've seen that with Ryan Smith and now with Dwayne Wade, I think they're trying to build a new kind of build on the culture that Miller started with the jazz and make it a more attractive spot for, for vets in the league is my opinion. Cause I think Dwayne Wade offers that connection to NBA players around the entire NBA. And I think Ryan Smith is trying to show that, this is not just a small market team where, you know, they're going to send the scrubs. Like this is a, this is a hopeful destination for free agents. Um, so I'm excited to see what Ryan Smith can do. I, I honestly don't know. Cause I've heard rumors that Danny Ainge and Ryan Smith are actually really good friends. Who knows? Who knows what kind of role he would be playing if he came over, but that, that one's going to be some news to keep some eyes on. We'll finish off really quick with some Utes news. Jeez, it feels like we have a transfer every week to talk about, Rich. Um, <laughs> this one is from USC now. Uh, the Utes just got a new wide receiver, and I hope I say his name right, Munir. Munir McLean. Um, a wide receiver, redshirt sophomore. Um, he got suspended at USC, um, three-star out of high school. Um, but it's just adding more and more depth to a wide receiver core. That was kind of the weak spot of this Utah offense going into this season. So what does this look like now? We've, we have another transfer coming in. What do you like out of this guy? What do you think he adds to the offense going into the season? Um, two things I really like about him. First, I like his size. He's six, four, 210. And we've had good success with guys that are six, four and around that weight range. Um, I think because of his size and um, he's fast as well. I think he'll get some good looks. Um, the second thing I like is that he's coming from USC. And I like it because first, it's kind of like it gives him an edge. Like, okay, this team kind of 
um, gave up on me. And it's a team you'll be playing in the future. Um, so I like that, first of all. And I also like that he's from USC because it shows that he has real talent. USC wouldn't have gotten him unless he had real talent. Um, so I think it's really exciting to have a guy like this come in because he's going to be an athletic freak. He's going to really help um, the wide receiver core. And I think he's going to play a big part in the near future of, for the Utes. Yeah, I think especially looking at the experience of Charlie Brewer at quarterback, going into this season, he will be the most experienced quarterback, I believe, in in FBS. He's thrown for more passing yards than any quarterback. I yeah. He has really good experience. And I think now you're adding more and more guys because that's the experience was what was lacking with the Utes last year. But I think now you're adding these other transfers. And I think this talent, uh, this talent gap is huge because Utah has been able to develop players. But I think now starting players that have proven themselves in high school and other colleges before this is a really big get for Utah. Um, I love what Kyle Whittingham is doing at the transfer portal. Um, I say that he's using portals just as well as Captain America did in Endgame. Dude is just dominating. <laughs> um, I I love how he and especially like I feel like this year, especially after COVID, a lot of Pac-12 players are going between programs in the conference, and it's good to see some guys choosing Utah. Um, it gives me more confidence in how the league views us as a team um, and how much potential we have as a team. I think especially after seeing how that last season ended. Um, so I'm again really hopeful for this upcoming season and the closer and closer we'll get to, to starting day. Uh, the more and more we'll be talking about the Utes, especially as jazz season winds down, super excited to get into the Utah football part of it. Um, any final comments, Rich? No, it's a good time to be a Ute fan and a jazz fan. <laughs> it's such a good time to be alive. We can say that much. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Rich and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Thatcher effect. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. And until next time, this is Nate Thatcher signing off.